Truth Plus Media. Howard retrieves it with five on the clock. Oh, me, oh my, what a jam with a right hand by Howard. Whoa, that is a way to finish. <laughs> it's the Vince Carter Show here in the Magic Kingdom. A come-from-behind performance. Carter on a fade. Yes! He has been unconscious. 46 points. 32 of the second half. Tony Brothers now telling Matt Barnes and Kobe Bryant to knock it off. And he fakes the ball. I mean, somebody in, in a magic uniform, uh, uh, even if I'm standing in Gundy, I consider maybe pulling Matt Barnes out and having a discussion with him because at the end of the day, we need you on the floor. You're not going to get into the head of Kobe Bryant. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. Today, we're going to Disney World. We got Matt Barnes reliving the 2010 Magic season with us. Matt was a 14-year pro. He won a championship with the Warriors in 2017. Most recently and notably, he is the co-host of the number one basketball podcast in the world, All the Smoke. So we're grateful to have him on Forgotten Seasons today. And I'm really excited to relive this 2010 Magic team. I love this team. I think that they're fascinating. Today, we talk a little bit more and remember the 2009 team. They went to the finals. They beat LeBron in Cleveland. But in my opinion, this is the more interesting squad. Matt thinks that they were the best team in the league. They won 59 games. They had the number one net rating in the league. Matt came over as a free agent, signed a one-year deal. He joined an apex Dwight Howard. Vince Carter also comes over this season from New Jersey. Jameer Nelson, White Chocolate, J.J. Redick. Just a deep and, and versatile team. They rolled through the regular season. They rolled through the first two rounds of the playoffs. But where it went wrong in Matt's eyes is the conference finals when they ended up losing. So just all in all, an action-packed episode. We're going to get into it now. 2010 Magic Forgotten Seasons with Matt Barnes begins right now. All right, everybody. Welcome to Forgotten Seasons. Welcome to Matt Barnes. Thank you for hopping on. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. Appreciate you guys having me. I'm a big fan of your guys' page. Take me down memory lane. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Big fan of all the smoke, of course. Everybody must be familiar with it. They just celebrated 100 episodes. So congratulations on that. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. So I actually wanted to start out with sort of a, a question related to the podcasting world. I'm sure you've been asked you know, a million times throughout your career and your retirement, what have you learned from your MBA career? What have you learned from this game, this experience? But, you know, now I believe it's like coming up on two years since all the smoke uh, came about. For th those of you that don't know us in the media world, they are number one on, on every sports list. So uh, sort of the 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 echelon of podcasts. What have you learned in, in the two years building that and being a part of the podcasting world? Um, you know, being a former athlete, it was always kind of like. I don't mean this harshly, but, you know, when players would talk to media, it's almost like players talking to cops. You know, there's always some kind of preconceived notion or angle they were coming at. And that's why you rarely, rarely, unless you're getting a real good interviewers, got quality material out of it. You know, because like I said, we spoke to the media because we had to. Um, so transitioning out of professional sports. Um, first of all, the podcast just kind of happened, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, it's Jack and I were both working on ESPN and Fox respectively and kept getting a lot of positive feedback. And one day I, you know, I was just like, Hey, we need to do something together. I was like, I don't know what, 
but we need to do something. He's like, you know, I'm with you. I was just like, what about a podcast? He was like, I'm down. And even though I really didn't know what a podcast, <laughs> I just knew we can freely speak. You know what I mean? I think on ESPN and Foxy, there's such a tight line you had to walk. You really kind of had to watch your P's and Q's. And, and I knew with the podcast, we'd have a little bit more freedom. Um, so from there, you know, my vision of all the smoke was just a, a relaxed setting, like hanging out in the man cave with some people, having a drink or having a smoke and just having a cool conversation. No, no mic in your face, no weird angles, no weird motives, but just really like we're sitting back and, and watching the game and kind of talking shit back and forth. And I think we kind of built on that. I pitched that vision to Showtime and uh, they took it without any kind of sizzle or anything. I guess they just believed, uh, you know, a lot of me and Jack. And from there, you know, we've had some of the biggest names, uh, not only in sports, but across the board. And I think um, our ability to I think before that, you know, our reputation kind of preceded us. You know, we've always kind of been straight to the straight off the cuff. We're our hard on our sleeve type guys while we played. And I think we've been able to carry that through media. And not too often can you do that. You know, although we were on Fox and ESPN, you have to tone it down a little bit. We never really sugarcoated anything. And I think now with all the smoke, there's definitely no sugarcoating. But, you know, my goal was always really to humanize the guests. You know, we know how great Allen Iverson was during his career. We know on Kobe's birthday, rest in peace to our brother. We know how great Kobe was as a basketball player. But I was fortunate enough to see the other side of those guys when I played with them. And that's what I always wanted to show our fans and our viewers, because I think there's such a fascination now with, you know, what are they like off the field, off the court, off the diamond or out of the studio? Um, so we've just been able to, to to really allow people to let their guard down again. I take it back because there's no we're not here for clickbait. We're not here to cause any trouble. We really just want to get to know our guests better and allow our fans to do the same. So. Uh, this two-year journey has been fun, you know, because I've learned it from the media side, but then also the business side, because I negotiated, um, you know, after we were up our first year, we had kind of a, a shitty deal, which is expected, you know, first year. So I really negotiated our second deal and was able to, you know, partner us up not only with Showtime again for a second time around, but then with iHeart and Charlemagne's Black Effect. So then we were able to get paid for our audio and our digital and um, really kind of just started to understand what this the, the business side of it was like, and I think it just gave me a greater understanding of what this space is like now. So, you know, I talk, you know, often, cause like you said, a lot of people, you know, how do we get started? What do I got to do? You know, what is your situation like? So, you know, now we're in the day of age of podcasts, you know, everyone has podcasts. So what is going to make you stand out? What is going to make you, you know, rise above everyone else? And I, again, I, I think it was just our ability to keep it real, our ability to have our guests feel comfortable and let their guards down. And then our, and then just us, you know, we have such a great dynamic and I tell people, you know, like you can, it's hard to duplicate something unless you really have a, a friend that you could really, really fuck with. You know, Jack and I throw shots at each other all mm -hmm. podcasts, but it's, it's never any hard feelings. Just like if we were sitting back watching the game today over at my house and we'd be talking shit back and forth, but it's never an only hard feeling. So you have to really have that kind of bond with your partner uh, to really make, you know, a podcast duo work. So um, it's been fun. It's been a learning experience on both sides of the ball, but, um, you know, it's great. And now I have my kids podcast and, and they're killing mm -hmm. it. They just dropped their 19th episode, the Barnes Boys podcast. And we have some big time people um, interested in jumping on board on that. So just kind of, you know, giving them an opportunity to get started a little earlier. So by the time they're my age, they've mastered everything above. <laughs> And now to the topic at hand of this podcast, the 2009-2010 Orlando Magic season. Um, Matt, this was your first and only year on the Magic. Quickly take us through just uh, 
that free agency process. You were in Phoenix the year before. Um, how did that shake out? Did you go to them? Did they come to you? Curious to hear as to how you ended up on this team. So I'll take you back two years to the We Believe team. So we made the We Believe run the next year, the 2008, 2000, 2007, 2008 season, that beginning of that year, the, uh, the end of November, my mom passed. So after that, we because that We Believe team kind of put me on. Like I was back and forth debating whether I was going to go play football or not. I had NFL team ready to give me a tryout. Wow. Um, you know, took a shot in the dark thanks to Baron. I went up there and played a little scrimmage, and, and Nelly loved me. So fast forward, we made it through the We Believe season, and I'm telling, you know, I'm kind of making a name for myself. So a bunch of people are telling me, like, yo, you're going to get paid this summer. You need to get a big age. You need to do this, this, and that. So me kind of being new to – the fame and the success of the NBA, I just listened to everyone that had everything to say. So I fired my agent, got a new agent. Uh, you know, I was hearing that I'm going to get, you know, upper 20s or, uh, you know, low 30s million dollar type of deal. So then, you know, Golden State came back with a three year, $12 million deal. I'm just like, damn, I thought I was going to get more. You know, I think I deserve more. You know, you hear Kenny and Charles and those guys speaking on TNT. This guy's going to get paid this summer. And at the time, I'm just like, I, didn't, I considered obviously that's being paid because that's, that's a great amount of money, but I thought I'd get more. So um, I declined their three-year offer and bet on myself that I was going to take a one-year, $4.5 million deal or $4 million deal and prove to them one more time and then really get a nice little payday. Um, but then at the beginning of that next season, my mom died. So that season was a complete wash. Um I, I guess I really pissed Nelly off looking back on him because Nelly was the one that gave me a chance. And I think his thought process was this, this motherfucker is going to turn down this $12 million deal when he could be on the streets. If it wasn't for me, I'm kind of thinking that's what he was thinking. Cause you know, right when the, you know, the, the, the clouds started to, to move from that season, he pulled me outside. It's just like, I'm glad you didn't sign a long-term deal. Your time here is up. This is during the middle of the season. He's like, I'm glad you didn't sign a long-term deal here. Your, your time here is up. I'm like, what the fuck? Like motherfucker, you know, I just lost my mom and all this kind of shit. So, but he stayed true to his word. Like I barely played the rest of the season. So the next season I'm coming out of that. So I'm coming off of barely playing, bouncing around my first four years, having a solid season with the We Believe team. And then people are like, obviously they knew my mom died, but obviously they knew the Golden State situation didn't die. So people are kind of hesitant. I go into Phoenix um, and this is them. I think D'Antoni had just left. Mm. They had just hired Terry Porter. Yeah, Shaq. Which was, yeah, Shaq was there. Uh, yeah, Shaq was there. Just hired Terry Porter, just got Shaq. Um, but the Terry Porter mix was like oil and water with that team. I, I think especially coming off of Dan Tony. So if you recall, we they fired Dan Tony, or excuse me, they fired Terry Porter at All-Star Break, which had never happened. A first-year coach got fired three months, three and a half months into the job. Uh, we take Alvin Gentry. Uh, the beginning of that season, Amari Stoudemire gets poked in his eye and nearly loses his eye in training camp. So that's why Amari wore goggles the rest of his mm -hmm. year. So long story short, Phoenix is one of the top teams in the West you know, four or five years before that, we don't make the playoffs. So I'm out again. You know, I mean, I played well. I want to say I averaged, you know, 10 and a half, 11 points, you know, did my job. Um, but I guess they were just looking for more. So I'm a free agent, not really knowing what's going on. Um, and not really too many teams, to be honest with you, not really too many teams interested. Um, and then my agent hit me and said, you know, uh, Orlando has some interest. And I'm thinking like, damn, okay, they just, you know, they just went to the finals. Uh, I thought the Lakers punked them, but they had a lot of talent. I'm just like, I would love to go, you know, play with Dwight Howard. Cause Dwight Howard was the player in the year. You know, obviously there's Kobe's yes, and LeBron's, was. but if you think like people quickly forget how good Dwight Howard was. So 
I'm like, shit, let's go to Disney World, you know? So <laughs> I'm off to Orlando and coming to a team with Jameer Nelson, who'd been an all-star, Richard Lewis, who was making over $100 million, Dwight, who was one of the top two or three players in the league, uh, Vince Carter, Jason Williams, Miguel Petrus, uh, Marcin Gortat, Brandon Bass, uh, J.J. Reddick, Miguel Petrus. Like, we had a really, really good team. And then Stan Van Gundy. So uh, we went in there and uh, – we clicked, you know, like I said, they were coming off a, a, a finals appearance the year before, um, you know, Stan McGinney was a drill sergeant, someone who took mm-hmm. everything as serious as you could possibly take it. It was kind of the first time in my life, you know, we're wearing, we're, we're taped, you know, normally shoot around is 30, 45 minutes. You get some shots up, you talk about the other team and then you go get rest. Not with Stan. Stan, we really practiced. Like we had knee pads. You had to wear knee pads because he wants to bump knees. You had to get your ankles taped. And I'm thinking, like, what the fuck? Like, do you want it? You want it now or you want it later? <laughs> but he wanted it both. So, uh, you know, we go we go through that season, uh, never taking a day off, never taking anything light. And this is back in the day when people pride themselves on playing 82 games a year. So, you know, everyone pretty much played. We we there was never no time off. We didn't take anything lightly. I think we came in uh, second place um, in the East that year behind Cleveland. Yep. And, you know, we were primed to make another finals run. Um, so that's where we're kind of at. So I, you mentioned quickly that you thought the Lakers punked the magic. I, I read something from you back then. You sort of echoed those thoughts. What did you see um, in that finals run when they did get punked? And I know that you sort of outwardly said when you got to Orlando, like, you know, you guys are soft. What did you see? And then how did that all go down when you actually sort of addressed the elephant in the room? Um, I mean, what I just saw, I mean, I saw my little brother, Trevor Reza, like in their huddles during mm-hmm. the finals and like no one would push him out or do nothing. He's in Hito's face. He's in everyone's face, kind of just doing, you know, doing what we do. You know, Trevor, I feel like me and Trevor cut from the same cloth. So I saw what Trevor was doing. I was just laughing like, yo, and it, and it was working. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in these dudes' heads. And 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 to me, uh, although it was, you know, it was a well-fought finals, I kind of thought that the Lakers had the upper hand because they had mentally um, taken advantage of that team. So, you know, when you get there, you really don't want to ruffle feathers. So, you know, I had spoke on things a, a few times, but but more than, more than speaking on it, you know, me being a guy that wasn't really a – wasn't even really a household name at that point, to be honest with you. So you don't really want to come into a new house and, and fuck shit up. So mm-hmm. I just tried to lead by example. You know what I mean? Like it was just a new time when I was there. So it was – you know, there was no other teams trying to punk us. That wasn't happening no more. Um, I would, you know, get Dwight fired up and get other guys fired up. So it was kind of less of me speaking on it, although I did speak on it. It was just more by leading by example. Like, you mm. know, if, if, if someone takes Jameer out, we're taking someone else out. You know what I mean? If someone gives up a, a teammate a dirty foul, we're giving someone else a dirty foul. So it was just kind of like we're not – you're not just going to come in here. We're going to play basketball or we can fight too. We can do either one um, and we'll be ready for both. But hopefully if we just play basketball, I know we had one of the most talented teams in the league that year. Yeah. I heard, I heard you and JJ on, on all the smoke, just talk about that year. And just, you said like that team was deep and really good. Like even the 10th, 11 guys, like you mentioned, Marcin Gortat and Ryan Anderson too, like two dudes. Ryan that, Anderson. They, yeah. Like he, Ryan, yeah. He, he got paid like Gortat ended up mm-hmm. being a really high quality starter. So this was a, a really good mm-hmm. team and just the off season going in. So they had Hidu Turkolo, who was really good. Um, Great year that year. 
Yeah, great year. Amazing. I I, mm -hmm. I think he, I want to say he was an all-star, but maybe he wasn't. Um, but he ends up going to Toronto in the sign-in trade. And then you guys bring in Vince Carter and Jason Williams. Um, so I want to get into the whole roster, but I just got to ask you, like Jason Williams and Vince Carter on the same team. I think people forget that. And you're talking about like two of the most highlight reel producing, maybe the two players of all time. Any really? any stories in practice like with them two or just like, you know, what was it like being around those two dudes? I mean, Vince is probably, and, and like I said, I got a chance to play with Kobe and I got a chance to play with AI and Shaq. Vince is probably the most gifted basketball player I've ever played with. Um, someone that is can do everything. Uh, like regular pull-up jump shots from half court, right and left hand. Uh, fresh off, no stretching, can do any dunk you can imagine. Um, just super, super talented. And then Jay Will on the flip side is one of the, like you said, the most entertaining players in the game. So I think at that point he was, you know, he had kind of toned his game down a little bit, mm -hmm. but you would still see flashes of these passes and his energy in these plays. I remember one time because him and Stan didn't really get along too well. And um, what, is it, you know, what a surprise. Right. So our whole goal was, <laughs> was to win a championship. If you recall, Jay won a championship with the Miami Heat um, when they made their run. And it was him and Stan were going back and forth about something. I don't even recall what the fuck it was. But Jay said something about, you want this fucking ring? The ring I just won is underneath my 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 bathroom sink. And they're back and forth. But when I tell you, Jay Will was on one side of the court and Stan was on the other side of the court and Stan said something slick. Jay Will threw a bullet behind the back pass to hit Stan right in his stomach. It was the funny fucking shit I've ever seen like a bullet across the court behind the back pass that hit Stan and I was just like yo what the fuck is going on so I'm trying not to laugh but inside I'm dying but Jay Will is, is to this day like you know one of my favorite humans you know just outside of basketball just always a great energy um, great guy to be around he and I used to eat a lot in our off time hang out golf um, but yeah but those two Right there, like like you said, Vince, one of the most athletic, gifted people you've ever seen, and then Jason Williams, one of the most creative uh, players I'd ever seen at the games ever seen. Again, just speaks to really, you know, how deep this team was. Mm. And then getting into the rest of the roster, we do this thing here. I'm going to say the name of the player. Just say first word, phrase, or story that comes to mind. Yep. Dwight Howard preached to the people. It, it, uh, those who forgot uh, Dwight Howard in in 2010. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. The the biggest security blanket I've ever got a chance to play with. Uh, he had everyone else very comfortable in playing up in your face defense because you knew if your guy happened to get by you, Dwight was going to block it or lay him down. Um, so just incredible strength, athleticism, um, raw still too, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. Um but the one thing about Dwight was, and I love Dwight, Dwight to this day, then although he was the best player, he wasn't necessarily cut out to be a leader. You know what I mean? And we kind of ran into some trouble with, you know, kind of him just taking stuff more serious because he was just a happy-go-lucky guy. He was just so good. But then again, he just wanted to play around all the time. So, no, we're, we're, we're going in these playoff finals, and he's fucking around, like, playing games during – shoot around of, of you know the eastern finals or the eastern semis i'm just like yo what like what what's up with this dude man we got a chance to win a championship but again it wasn't really a knock on him it just wasn't he was just such a happy free spirit fun guy but one of the most talented players this game has ever seen and i think people forget how fast or how good he was because 
when he went to the Lakers, he had that back injury and tried to rush everything back. And then he went from Superman to someone that, you know, had trouble dunking for a little while. So he got his feet back under him. So I really wish that, you know, he would have took his time and got completely healthy and, and got to take that Orlando talent to the Laker talent because that would have been really scary. Well, regardless of that first ballot Hall of Fame, I don't think there's yep. there's a question there. Moving Great. on, uh, Richard Lewis. Man, sweet Lou. Sweet uh, Lou. A, a quiet assassin. Someone that just did his job night in, night out. Uh, liked to laugh, liked to joke around, but a consummate pro. You know, someone who was always ready to play uh, every single night. Hmm. Uh, fellow, fellow podcaster, J.J. Redick. Bubs. Uh, JJ was kind of coming into his own at that time, you know, kind of really finding his footing. I think uh, Orlando was was who drafted JJ, right? I I'm believe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it took him a little while to get going and he would show flashes of, you know, the player he turned out to be, you know, one of the best shooters um, this game's ever seen. Uh, real good guy. And funny story. And, and I think we talked about this about either my podcast or his podcast, you know, with that Duke stigma. JJ was the guy just like, I, I know I'm not going to like this guy. Fuck this guy. And um and, I, you know, obviously, I think people kind of have preconceived notions. It's only natural. And, uh, you know, J.J. was one of the guys that when I got there, stigma out the window, loved him. And to this day, probably one of the uh, from that team, probably one of the only guys I still talk to, uh, you know, because we got a chance to get to play each other with the Clippers mm -hmm. uh, the second time around. So went from kind of being young and, and thinking I'm not going to like this Duke guy to, you know, to really becoming friends with JJ and becoming a real uh, fan of him on and off the court. Well, when you watch, when you watch him, his college highlights, it's, it's hard to not have that stigma. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. Lastly, Jameer Nelson. Oh, man, Jameer, a uh, great guy, great leader. Um, if you look back and, and look at him, just so impressive because he's mm -hmm. really such a small guy. Under six and feet. under six feet tall, but you can never tell. You know, he he yeah. played with the heart of a seven footer. Uh, hit big shots. Was was definitely our team leader uh, on both ends of the floor, and really gave everything uh, he had to the game. Someone who also liked like one thing about this team, though, we had a good time on and off the court. Like this team had fun, laughed. It was always loose, but when it was time to go, it was time to go. But Jameer was definitely one of those guys that to me was underrated you know for how small he is how small he was what he was able to accomplish uh in this game uh was very impressive to me and you talked about just stan van gundy <clears throat> your respect for him i know that we'll and we'll get into this later you know that uh the celtic series when things sort of went awry with him but you've also you know said and, and jj and the other players that he might be the smartest coach that you've ever played under um yeah. he had a, a bit of a rocky stint recently in new orleans I think that was a challenging situation, a young team, no real, uh, you know, they, they weren't well defined, but what was like, what was your experience playing understand? And I guess just speak to, you know, his preparation ability and his skill level, just, you know, with the X's and O's and as a coach. Well, I, I thought uh, I'll, I'll go backwards with you. I thought that New Orleans hire wasn't a good hire because I know that Stan is an old school coach. And I know this game today is more about relating to players than actually X's and O's. Uh, because the game is so free flowing. So I saw that roster and remember what Stan was like, you know, nearly 10, 11 years ago. 
And I just knew, and it wasn't really even a knock on Stan. It was just kind of, I think, and this, I say this with all due respect, because again, I respect Stan's mind to the utmost. I think the game had passed him by. The game is so different now and players are so different now and get treated so different now and, and shit is so different that I knew his old ways wouldn't, wouldn't bode well um, <clears throat> in New Orleans. Uh, but when I got a chance to play with Stan, um, again, great X and O's, execution, uh, in-game adjustments, at a, at a, at a timeout plays, like Stan was one of the best um, that I'd ever been around uh, when it came to that attention to detail. Second, and the only thing I didn't like is, you know, when Stan would get heated or start talking, you get that foamy shit in the corner of his <laughs> mouth and sometimes that shit would shoot on you or uh-huh. even when you're talking to him, you don't want to rub your own shit just to make your shit wasn't, make sure your shit wasn't foaming. Um, <laughs> but uh, again, like I said, one of those, one of those guys that, you know, can, you know, knows the game like the back of his hand, uh, always had us ready, always had us prepared. And that's what you want from a coach. You want him to give us his all. So all we have to do is go out there and execute. Um, and we did that through the entire season, through the first two rounds. And then we went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know what the fuck got into him, but he wanted to change everything up that year. Or excuse me, everything up. Uh, you know, keep in mind, we had swept... We had swept Charlotte. Jack's team beat the dog shit out of them. Yes. Swept, swept Atlanta uh, pretty handily. And then I want to say we either, I don't know if we played Boston three or four times a year, but I want to say we only lost to Boston one time that year. So we're kind of looking like, okay, man, let's get to Boston and we're going to go see the Lakers in the finals. We're going to be ready for them. And it was going to be dope because obviously this is the ball fake year. And mm-hmm. oh, there was so much riding on, you know, the year before so we were really excited to get a chance to go back and play the lakers again because you know we thought we could beat them um so we get to the eastern finals and i remember stan saying something like you know this is a really good veteran team and we're gonna have to make a few adjustments and then switch some things up on offense and when you hear that you're like okay yeah you know eastern conference finals you know the game plan gets a little tighter everything gets a little more strategic but when I tell you we went and reconfigured everything and we're all like, yo, what the fuck are we doing? Like completely going away from everything we did to get there, running different sets, even I think a different rotation. And it was a nightmare. And all it kept going back in my mind thinking was what Shaq said when Shaq had him in Miami that, you know, this guy freezes under pressure. But this guy gets nervous under pressure. And that's the only thing that came to mind. I'm just like, Stan, like we have this. I'm not mistaken, the second best record in the league. Um, we had eight and zero in the playoffs, beating teams by an average of 20 points a game. Like, what are we really switching right now? I understand we're playing a Boston team who's tough, veteran team, but like we're switching up everything we did to get here. And you know, I want to say that 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 Boston beat us in six. I think they yeah. won the first three games. We won the second game, the, the, the next two games, and then I think they closed us out uh, in Game Six in Boston. He was spooked by Tom Thibodeau, who was the the defensive mind of those Celtics teams. Going back quickly, just like to the regular season, uh, you guys got, you know, you guys who are number two seed, the Cavs, the Cavs are in there with LeBron, uh, the Celtics, the Hawks. I think that you guys felt that you were the best team in the league probably that year, but definitely the East. Who in your mind was that second team that, that you expected and maybe, you know, had to gear up? Was it Boston or Cleveland? I, I, I thought more Cleveland, to be really? honest with you. Um, but then when you look on paper, it, it, Boston's team was tough. But just Crazy. LeBron was in, insane at that time. But Boston's had a better roster. But 
Cleveland had LeBron, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the roster, with all due respect to Cleveland's roster, you still had LeBron and, you know, and LeBron brought the best out of every player who was on his team. So, you know, we were thinking we handle our business. We're going to see Cleveland in the Eastern finals, but, uh, you know, obviously Boston has something to say with that and, and, and handle their business. Well, Boston, like you, obviously they have the big three and then Rondo, but they also had that year, like Rasheed Wallace, uh, they had Tony Allen, Eddie house, like mm -hmm. that's sort of the, that's Hurt, what happens yeah. to a championship team. The, the vets start to sort of mm -hmm. trickle in trying to get that ring. But um, yeah. and then just staying just like with the theme around the league, um, you as one of the premier perimeter defenders, um, I want to ask you who, you know, your your toughest matchups were. But first, like who else in the league at as a perimeter defender did you respect and did you maybe like study or, or look at um, and just like just really respect on the defensive end of the floor? uh tony allen uh was first one. team kobe was one because kobe was that superstar that played both sides like mike um but then outside of those those are two guys that come to mind but then outside of that like i really just tried to be my own because i always kind of thought i was a football player playing basketball you know mm -hmm. i grew up playing football football is my first sport so i know if i can mix physicality in with the ability to stay in front of people and be tough and tough-minded that i was going to have a you know a pretty good uh, I would be pretty good at what I did. And although I never really got recognized for defense on, with any kind of awards or accolades, you know, there was a time where I was, you know, definitely top five wing defenders um, in the game. And it was crazy. That little article you sent that I read the other day, I didn't even, I remember that I, it was weird because Joe was a killer at that time. I want to say they had Jamal Crawford on that Atlanta team too, right? Mike like, Bibby. For, yeah. Like yeah. And those guys are so shifty, so shaky, but I never had any issues with those guys. And I obviously say that with all due respect because they were great offensive players, but I knew that, you know, there were certain guys I knew that if I could be physical with them and just stay on their ass, that they wouldn't be as effective as they normally are. And I was able to do that uh, with Joe Johnson. You know, I didn't realize what, what, what he, you know, I, I want to say he was averaging 23 a year, that uh, 23 a game that year. And I held him to like 12, 12, 12 a game. Crazy. And like low 30% shooting, uh, you know, did a good job on Jamal as well. So it was something that, you know, being caught up in the moment, I didn't really realize, you know, how good I was playing. But then when you sent that article the other day, I was like, damn, I really was playing some defense. But um it was just fun. You know, that I, I knew, see, that's why I was able to play, you know, I was able to play 14 years and, and left on my terms because I quickly found once I got a chance to play that, you know, and this is something Doc Rivers said to be a star in your role. You know, everyone, would I like to get more shots, but I'd like to score 20 a game. Absolutely. Um, but that just wasn't what my role was. My role was to be a, you know, a defensive hard-nosed rebounding player and, and, and knock down my shots when they come. So once I've kind of figured out my role, no matter what team I went on, it was always easier for me to fit in, blend in, and do my job because I knew exactly what my job was. Now, what I you know, drop 25, 30 uh, every once in a while, yeah. But at the end of the day, like I knew my job was to guard the best player and bring some toughness and, and it adds to a team. So, you know, and I think that's what hurts a lot of players is everyone thinks they can come out and be KD or Harden or Kobe and Durant. And these guys are, uh, you know, uh, these guys are chosen. Like these are God's gifts. These guys are and scoring their sleep but uh you know there's a role for everybody in this league if you kind of understand what your role was and i just you know once i got a chance to start playing i was just like you know what do i need to do to stay on the floor okay i need to do that and and i did it to the best of my abilities this is forgotten seasons with matt barnes we'll be right back now is the time to celebrate the nfl is finally back you know i love basketball but i love football too 
and I love playing Daily Fantasy on DraftKings, the official Daily Fantasy partner of the NFL. They've got millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize with a total of $4 million up for grabs for Thursday's opener. That's a lot of millions. Getting in on Thursday night's single game showdown is easy. All you got to do is draft six players from the season opener. Got to stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So head to the app now and feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at a million, million dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use code Forgotten Seasons. That is Forgotten Seasons, no space. This week, new customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize and $4 million in total prizes. Enter code Forgotten Seasons to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code Forgotten Seasons only at DraftKings, the official fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com for more details. I want to go to the end of the season. You guys win 23 of your last 28 games. You're rolling. You know, you're, you have the number one net rating in the league. You have a top four offense and a defense. Um, any memories of just like that end of end of season when things are just clicking and falling into place right before the playoffs? We just knew we had a really good team. And, mm. and, and again, although I want to say that game was in March versus the Lakers, you know, playing the yep. defending champs and the only, only thing that everyone was remembering was the ball fake, but we ended up winning that game. I want to say I hit a big three down the stretch yep. to clinch it. Like we knew we had, we were looking at ourselves as the best team in the league. Although, you know, Cleveland had a better record. LA was the defending champs. We knew that if we can bottle up the way we were playing down the stretch into these playoffs, that we were going to get our first championship. And, uh, you know, we, and we, again, we came out the gates, you know, we went 23 of our last 28 and then we start the playoffs eight and no with, I want to say our average margin of victory was up like 18 to 20. It might've been even higher. I want to say we had set some standard for it. First magic team in history to sweep in a seven game series too. So historic. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, we were all, we had a really, really, really good team. And like I said, uh, we were locked in and we were ready to go. And, and you know, obviously I credit that to Stan, you know, Stan was the, the, the leader of our squad and always had us well prepared. And then, you know, our team again, just from one to 11, one to 12, like guys that can, our contributors can start elsewhere and everyone had to make a little bit of a sacrifice. Um, obviously if you weren't Dwight or, or Rashad or, or, or Vince, but everyone else had to make a little bit of a sacrifice. Um, and we all made that. So eight and zero in the first two rounds. Uh, you sweep your brother Jack. He, I heard he likes to say that you know he he gave you guys the work. But if you look at the stats, not the best shooting performance. Although he yeah. did have to, he had to carry. Yeah, he a shot load. a lot. He <laughs> yeah. shot a lot. I wouldn't say his shooting percentage was good, but he had to carry that load because we had pretty much put a blanket on everybody else. So I want to say Jack might have been in the twenties, but I know his shooting percentage was probably in the toilet. Um, but he, he probably had fun though. You probably have fun. Jack, yeah, Jack was a scorer, you know, and obviously you want to challenge yourself. And that's the way I kind of looked at everything, you know, whether it be Jack, Kobe, Joe. Like, if you're going to score 30 points, I want you to take 30 shots. You know what I mean? So, and 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 that's probably going to leave you with, you know, a, a sub-40 shooting percentage. So, that was kind of my goal. Like, you're never going to stop a great score. You just want to make it work for everything. Mm. And then the Hawks, you, you touched on it. You guys 
are winning by like 20 plus every game. That article said that you actually cost Joe Johnson like millions because that was going into his, <laughs> his free agency year. And front office's last impression of him is, is Matt Barnes putting a blanket over him. But then that Boston series comes out. Um, a guy that really wet, played well that series was Paul Pierce. Talk a little bit about just the challenges. You mentioned having success against the shiftier guys, but mm-hmm. that's not a shifty guy. That's a big mm-hmm. boy. That's a mm-hmm. big boy. So what, what's it yeah. like matching up against Paul Pierce? I saw I saw you also were hanging out with him the other day with your kids too. Yeah, so. I, was with, yeah I, was with, I was with PP yesterday. Um, Paul was different. And I think because Paul has been removed from the game and has some outlandish takes uh, every once in a while <laughs> that people, people forget how good Paul Pierce the truth was. And he was a top five scorer in that game, whether his numbers showed that, his just pure ability uh, with his strength, athleticism, mid-range game and the biggest thing about paul was he was never scared of the moment he was really clutch and one thing i remember about again that series that the, the rotation changed up so we were playing weird minutes we're like i would play one quarter petrus would play one quarter and it was kind of like a back and forth kind of situation so uh you know paul ate that series and 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 played really well and, and i was frustrated again because like i said i know what my what my job was to you know slow the best player down and uh, it just didn't happen in that series. But again, I think people forget how good Paul Pierce was because he'll say some crazy shit on TV every once in a while. But when it came between them lines and, and time to go in, in big moments, uh, you know, I would take someone like Paul Pierce to war every single day. Well, I, I grew up a Knicks fan and like my memories of a Knicks fan, half of them are Paul Pierce just like sinking a dagger into their into them in Madison Square Garden. So I'm I'm yes. well aware of the greatness of yeah. Paul Pierce, but I agree with yeah. you that people people don't really realize that. Mm. Um and you mentioned just a little bit about like Stan changing the schemes. I'm curious like what is the actual X and O's change? Cuz I know that your offense changed to like sort of a motion offense, which is just not what you guys were about. So I'm curious like bring us into that like practice that he says, okay, it's time to prepare for Boston. This is what we're going to do now. Like talk, talk on a schematic level. Uh, you know, what's weird. And I was trying to think of this cause I knew you were going to ask it. I really couldn't even think from a scheme level because it was so different from what we did. And I think I was so mentally like, what the fuck are we doing that? I didn't pay attention to what he was actually trying to get us to do which is weird. And, and I want to say that's how a lot of guys felt. Cause again, JJ and I shared these same sentiments when, when we spoke on the podcast, it was just like so different from what we were doing that it wasn't us. But at the same time, I couldn't even tell you what, what he, what he, what he was trying to get us to do because we were just like, yo, what the fuck? Like we just killed the end of the regular season. We ran through the playoffs. Like, why are we switching? I think you make tweaks here and there, but what are we switching? Like, why are we switching everything up? So the answer, I can't really give you a strategic answer because I think my mind was so set on what the fuck are we doing that I wasn't really paying attention to what he was trying to get us to do. So with that, you guys lose in six. Like you said, you were down 3-0. You win a few, but then they take it in six. Um, and then you sign that one-year deal and you're gone. You know, I saw that you you wanted to come back to Orlando and the feelings weren't mutual. Um, walk so us I started, through, yeah. Uh, so I kind of, I mean, I've always been someone, you know, obviously looking back at my career now, I probably should have shut the fuck up a little bit more, but <laughs> I was always someone who kind of spoke my mind. And it wasn't really on no disrespectful shit. It was just, 
shit that maybe people shouldn't say, but it was real. You know what I mean? And I think that's what allowed me to stay relevant after my career is like, even though it may not be the popular thing to say, or maybe players shouldn't say it, I would say it. And one thing I remember hearing from my agent, which was weird as fuck to me, they said that they want to pay JJ and they were going to pay JJ more. And they felt like I would have a problem with that. And like, first of all, like guys have been getting paid more than me in my whole career. I don't give a fuck what no one makes. Just give me a little bit of money because I feel like I earned it. So that was the excuse that my agent told me that they kind of gave him. And I'm just like, uh, no, this kind of sounds like Stan doesn't want me back. This is not something I would, I would never hate on nobody getting money to me. We all need to get paid as much as we possibly can. As long as I get some of that, I'm good. So that situation falls apart. Um, But oddly enough, uh, you know, Pat Riley starts hitting me right at free agency. And I'm thinking like, I'm, I grew up, in California, Laker fan, I'm thinking motherfucking mafia. Pat Riley is, is like on the my Don. line, and so this is he's telling me like this team they're you know they're 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 in the process of building like hey we're gonna get LeBron, you know uh, Mike Miller, Bosh. He, he I remember him telling me he's like you know our our closing lineup would be LeBron, D Wade, Mike Miller, Chris Bosh, and me. That's what he was pitching. Then he's and then he got D Wade on the phone a couple times. So I'm talking to the Miami Heat, thinking like, what the fuck. They're about to build this rock star team. This team doesn't like me. I'm just going to go up the freeway and go win a championship in Miami. So that's where my, my mind was set. My heart was set. You know, at the, at the time I was telling my girl, I'm just like, I don't know if we're going back to Cali. We might be going up the freeway to Miami. Um, and then all of a sudden I get a call and, and people who know me is I don't answer my phone, even if the name is on there. I just, <laughs> I'm not a person who answered the phone, but for some reason I answered this phone this particular day and it was a number that I, di- I didn't know. And I answered it. I'm like, hello. Like, MB, what's good? I'm chilling, what's up? Who's this? He's like, Kobe. And the first time I was like, shut the fuck up. I was like, who's this? He's like, no, nah, it's Kobe. And I'm like, how'd you get my number? And he said, I called so-and-so to get your number. And we start talking back and forth. I'm like, what's up? He's just like, you know, I really like, you know, your tenacity and the way you play and this, this, and that. He's like, have you ever thought about being a Laker? I'm like, man, I've dreamed of being a Laker. Like, the Lakers have been my favorite team. And he's just like, well, shit, anyone crazy enough to fuck with me that's crazy enough to play with me, I'm going to get you here. And I'm like, where? He's like, yeah. And that was it. And like three days later, four days later, I was a Laker. <laughs> had you had you had, because we talked like the, the ball fake game happens this year. Was there any closure or like was there any communication in between that and the phone call? So Kobe and I always had a mutual respect. So Kobe... So I came to UCLA in 98. Kobe came to the Lakers in 96. So you remember, he's literally coming as, you know, a, a high school kid out to L.A. So Kobe used to be on our campus all the time, UCLA, walking around. He would work out after our practices. I would sneak back in and watch him. So I was just kind of a fan of him because I saw his struggle. You know, so I would see, like, I didn't know at the time it was a struggle and a disconnect with his current teammates, but he was kind of the young outcast. So I would always think like, yo, why is Kobe on our campus? But that was kind of where he kind of felt comfortable with kids closer to his age, you know, away from the Laker team because the Laker team was all older vets and kind of Shaq was the ringleader of that team. So not, in the moment, I didn't realize it. But now looking back, obviously being older, he felt more comfortable being on our campus around kids that were closer to his age. So that's where he and I met. 
and kind of it was more of just an admiration of just like god this dude is a fucking killer like he would work his ass off and i tell you like i'd sneak back into poly and watch him work out sometimes it's like yo this dude is the next michael jordan this guy's gonna be better than michael jordan so it was always kind of just an admiration thing of mine and we knew each other and then once i got in the league it was just always mutual respect i just he i would always play hard against him i mean i played hard against everyone but he just knew like it wasn't gonna be an easy matchup so Leading up to that Orlando Magic situation, there was never really much dialogue between me and Kobe. It was always love when we seen each other, you know, called me UCLA boy. We would always talk before games, like on the court before the jump ball and shit. But it, was, it wasn't necessarily like a friendship. It was just a respect for, you know, the, the, our competitive nature. And then fast forward to that game where, and people know, you know, you know people who played against Kobe and watched Kobe, Kobe was a dirty motherfucker. He would do anything he could to get that advantage. And most of the time the refs wouldn't call it. You know, it was funny. We had Mello on the hundredth episode and he, I remember Mello said, he's like, I'm gonna guard you in the fourth quarter. Cause they're not going to call yeah. shit, but they didn't fucking call shit on Kobe the whole game period. So, um, he was just someone who would grab elbow, do like hit you. And like he, I remember he, in that Orlando game, I really wanted to fight him. That's where the ball fake came from. He yelled with me in the sternum. And I remember he went and tried to block one of Dwight's shots and he was guarding me and I got a dunk tip and I came off the rim and he hit me yep. in my nuts and then elbowed me underneath my chin. I'm like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, this is going to be a fight. So anyway, that whole situation was really just, again, back and forth, competitive, competitive. So when I got this phone call, it was it was really out of the blue. And again, like I said, if I don't answer that call, I never check my messages. So I, it it might have never happened. But for some reason. God told me to answer the phone and, and, and it's Kobe Bryant, you know, recruiting me to come to the Lakers. I'm just like, you know, what better way to go to my favorite team than to have the greatest Laker of all time, you know, ask me to come join them. So that was a dope moment for me. That's incredible. You've been on a lot of good teams. You won a championship with Golden State. Uh, where does this Magic team rank on the best teams that you've played on? Obviously, that Golden State team was probably number one. Mm -hmm. um, and then... I really want to say those Laker teams were good too. The first year I went to the Lakers, they had won two in a row. We were, we were going for a three-peat. I tore my meniscus in March, and that's when we got swept by Dallas, and Dallas goes on to beat Miami. We had a really good team. There was just some kind of disconnect. We lost, we lost momentum down the stretch. I really felt like those Lob City teams, we should have won a championship for sure. Yep. I think we were one of the best teams in the league again, uh, but too much dysfunction. So I would put this Orlando Magic team maybe um, – Definitely top three. I, it, it's either I would go Golden State, um, and then I don't know if it's Lob City or Magic, two or three. Like I would just have to really kind of go back in and look at some of the stuff. But I want to say those Golden State teams. I mean, excuse me, those Lob City teams. We were really, really, really good, um, but couldn't do it. So yeah, definitely top three um, on teams I played on for sure. That'd be a good matchup, like that Lob City team versus. I'm just trying to think in my head, like that Lob City team versus the Magic, yeah. and like the matchups. I mean, yeah. we 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 covered Blake the other day, like ridiculous, you know, Man. like ridiculous. Um, people forgot how good Blake was and, and how strong and athletic he was, and then that was DeAndre Jordan coming into his own. Yep. Um, shit, it depends on what team you talk about. At one point, we had Lamar Odom. So our bench on those the Clipper teams. So the starters were CP. JJ, um, JJ, Karam Butler, um, Blake, and DJ, and then off the bench was Eric Bledsoe, Jamal Crawford, myself, Lamar Odom, and then like Roni Turioff or Ryan Hollins. Like our teams were stacked, and then the next year Doc came, 
Bled was gone and we placed Bled with Derek Collison, who was a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like those Lob City teams were, were <laughs> really good. What's the what's the the quick I mean it's probably not quick, but what's the dysfunction? Um jealousy on whose team it was. And as guys continue to rise, guys are taking a little bit of light from who the light has always been on. Um and this is really not even a knock to 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 our stars. You know, I just I definitely think there was a disconnect between Blake and Chris. And I think they worked they worked hard to try to mend that. And, and to me, where I felt like the disconnect came was because at first it was Blake's team. And then CP comes and it's CP's team. Um and then C but CP is to, to this day one of my good friends. Our our kids are best friends. He lives right around the corner from me. But CP is a throwback point guard. CP is a point guard like from the 80s or 90s where he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to tell you straight, like, motherfucker, this is what you need to do. And I think at times that would ruffle Blake's feathers and ruffle DJ's feathers. So I'd have to come in and take what Chris says and kind of water it down. Like, yo, this is what Chris wants you guys to do. This is it. This is what, like, he may have said this, this, and this, but this is what he wants. And for me, uh, you know, him barking, I was fine because I would bark right back at him. I'm not tripping, but I always knew what he was trying to tell us was right. I just think his delivery would be wrong with some of the, the, the this next generation of players, some of these younger players. And I felt like there was just disconnection there. And then, you know, Doc comes in the mix and there's just a lot of different egos at the top of our team from head coach to our best players that it just, we just couldn't get it done. I mean, we blew two, three, one, or no, one, three, one lead with that two, we go two, three, one leads. I know Houston. Uh, but... Houston. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. And then we lost to OKC on some, some weird shit where Chris was trying to draw a three quarter court foul and they stole it and hit some threes and I hit the ball on Reggie Jackson. They called it out on me. So yeah, a lot of different stuff. But I, I, I think at the end of the day that if we could have in a perfect example, while I was there, checked our egos at the door like that golden state team did the the, the team that i played on uh, the second time around with the warriors as fucking talented as they were with kevin and, and, and clay and steph and dre and, and coach and iggy and, and d west like everyone left their 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 agendas at the front door when they walked in that building the only thing that mattered was winning and i honestly can't say that was the key with our Clipper team. I think that's what got in the way. I think there were some agendas and egos that were ahead of us just winning. Does that with the Warriors, like, is that possible because it's Steph leading the team and his, and you know, if you, I don't know them personally, but you do, but I imagine Steph's delivery is not like Chris's delivery. Is that sort of the well, key I, there? I, I would say it's not, Steph's not the leader of that team. Draymond is the leader of that team. And although Draymond's delivery may be brash or harsh, I think he knows how to deliver it maybe a little bit better than Chris. But then even that, sometimes, you know, Dre will, like, it, uh, under his own admittance, he, he'll go over the line. You know what I mean? The shit with him and KD. You know, so I, I think, um, you know, for some reason, it, it just didn't work. You know, Draymond had a, a very intelligent and a, and a different type of delivery. Again, CP, one of the greatest mind this game has ever seen. And I just think it wasn't what he was saying. It was his delivery that kind of rubbed people wrong sometimes. Mm. I fucking love Draymond. Like, uh, I, I, fan. I, fan. I think that he, I mean, I'm, I'm 23. And I think in my lifetime, he's the best defender I've ever seen. Mm. Like yeah. in, in, those, in those series, like 2016, like redefined 
like how teams think about defense. You need somebody that can guard everything. And just like his communication, his intensity, like I just feel like it'd be, so, it'd be so fun to play with him. His IQ is off the charts. And if you think about it, Draymond is not that big. Six, seven? Uh, Dre, I think that's pushing it. <laughs> that's think, crazy. Uh, like, I think Dre that's is crazy. maybe like a, you know, kind of like that bark, like in that six, six, six half. But for him to guard one through five and do it successfully and, and for him to be able to guard centers and slow them down at his size, it was really just a joy to, because I watched it for so long and got to see it up close, like his leadership out there, again, his communication, his basketball IQ, um, I think that's why sometimes even if he came off a little harsh, those guys accepted it because he would leave it all out there on the court um, on the defensive end. And then he was such a, you know, made so many sacrifices offensively. I mean, you think how good that team was. He had the ball in his hands when it when, when it mattered, you know, and he would get the ball to the right person when it mattered. So always a huge fan of, fan of Draymond of, of what he's been able to accomplish um, <clears throat> and, and help lead that team, you know. That's arguably one of the greatest teams to go down in NBA history. So I'm definitely up there. I agree with you. Draymond is definitely one of the best defensive players in the history of the game. We got a few minutes left. And just to sort of close out this, this magic series, a sort of re or season, a, a reoccurring theme that we come across when we talk to, you know, former players like, you know, Q rich on the Suns, um, Xavier McDaniel in the nineties, Knicks, like these guys that X-Men X-Men bad man. Uh, these guys that didn't get the chance to run it back with teams that were really good. Um, and when you think about those magic teams, like you have one year there, you get very close to the finals. Like, what do you have to say to that sort of sentiment of the value of sticking together as a group and not folding the first time that you fail? Um, it's it goes to management. You know, they, they pay these guys in the front office a lot of a lot of money to make these decisions. But sometimes, you know, they don't really have a feel for what's going on out there. They might you know, they might have a good mind for basketball, but they don't have a feel. And I think, you know, not only in my situation, but I think a lot of situations, you know, I think, again, referring to our 100th episode, you know, when 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 Denver made that uh, Western Conference run and then they want to completely rebuild, they want to get rid of Chauncey, they want to get rid of JR, they want to get rid of everything instead of tweaking. Like you were a game or two games away from going to the finals. It, it shouldn't be a, a major rehaul. It should just be a, a few tink, you know, a, a few mm -hmm. changes here and there. So it, it's kind of a tough situation because, like I said, I think it happens so often with teams that are really talented. And then I think really, too, is I think there's a huge disconnect between the locker room energy and how important some guys are. And then what actually shows up on the stat sheet night in, night out. You know what I mean? My stats were what they were. You know, I was right about it. 10 points, five rebounds, a couple of assists, a couple of steals. But I just think I brought so much value in those locker rooms. Like I was the one guy that team, they would tell me, you know, fucking hate playing to you, but love playing with you. you know I mean, every team I went on. So, you know, when you don't see the huge, numbers out of your three man like it kind of makes you expendable but then at the same time it was when i tell you when i left that uh that lob city team those guys would call me so much after like, Man, we miss you we've been talking to doc about getting you back like we just it's like a breakup that, and we it's like a it's, it's like crazy, a breakup you know? and, and it's just like like because i was thinking i'm just like damn like how that like i don't think they understand again like i said my numbers were what they were but you know to kind of be a glue guy on the court, but then also in the locker room, you know, because I'm someone that can, I'll talk shit to anyone. I can be a bridge between stars. Um, I'm an icebreaker. 
just someone that was always cool to have in the locker room in any tense situation um, or any fun situation. I'm, you know, help you have fun. I'm going to help de-escalate shit. Uh, I'm going to help communicate. But again, upper management doesn't know that kind of stuff because they're not in the locker room with guys. And again, it's not just me. I'm sure there's been plenty of guys, you know, again, Melo mentioned Dante Jones, a similar role to what I had on my teams in, in, in Denver, but with the front office, not being in the locker room, seeing the day and day connection between us, they really don't understand. They're just looking at numbers. Um, so it kind of is what it is. I don't know if there's going to be really a solution to that, but it's, it's crazy when teams do make serious runs and then try to do major, you know, overhauls after you're, you're, you're pretty much knocking on the doorstep of the finals, but it's kind of is what it is. Well, it, hopefully it helps with the bucks winning this year. I'm guilty of it myself, you know, when they, cause they looked horrible in the playoffs, like, mm -hmm. you know, in the previous years, like I was one of the people saying like, you know, bud probably has to go. They got to get somebody better than Chris Middleton. But I think, uh, you know, they got lucky with injuries, but also like you could tell that that team had, had sort of been together and they make, you know, those little acquisitions. Um, mm -hmm. but, but anyway, um, Matt, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and for being a fan of the page. Uh, keep killing it with all the smoke. Um, and I guess just, you know, I'll give it to you. Any last words on the season or, or really anything that you want to say? No, man, just thanks for having me um, again. That was a, that was a fun season, man. Uh, a really kind of defining moment in my career from, you know, kind of just the defensive antagonist. So I turned into a bad guy when I faked the ball, you know, in Kobe's face and, and, and became teammates. And the fact that, you know, this interview is taking place on his birthday, mm -hmm. uh, just a lot of, a lot of synergy there, but no, no, really fun time. You know, you kind of took me down memory lane when you sent me that little article. So it, it's kind of always good to, to revisit stuff because I think in the moment, not that we take things for granted, but we're just so busy moving that we don't get a chance to appreciate, you know, whether it be accomplishments or just how fun stuff was. So, I appreciate you, man, for reaching out and, and allowing me to uh, relive that season, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate you. Um, everybody, go listen to All the Smoke. I'm sure you all are already, but uh, they got some fire on the way. And uh, appreciate you, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, keep doing your thing, man. Man, that was dope. Kobe stories, Chris Paul, Draymond, KD. Matt didn't hold back. Quickly, just going back to the Magic season, a prime example of how when windows close, they can close really fast. This Magic team, or the Magic, did not win a playoff series and have not won a playoff series since this season. Dwight ends up leaving a few years later. So just like uh, a reoccurring theme in these Forgotten Seasons interviews is that windows can close in the blink of an eye for different reasons. So when your team or, or the players that you're rooting for are having success, don't take them for granted because they can be gone before you know it. Um, but really glad that we could relive this great season with one of the main characters from the team. I'm Dylan Dreyfus, the creator of Forgotten Seasons. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check out all the smoke with Matt and Stack if you're not already. There's a reason why it's so successful. You can find more Forgotten Seasons on Instagram and Twitter and visit truthplusmedia.com for more in-depth looks at these amazing stories from NBA history. And stay tuned. There's more Forgotten Seasons on the way. Thanks, guys.